Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Cara, acne can be tough. Whether your kid is just starting to get breakouts or has been struggling with them for years, there's a great product that can help. Phyla is the ultimate game changer. It tackles acne right at its root cause, rebalancing the skin's bacteria and packing it with probiotic phages. Phyla harnesses the superpowers of probiotics, tiny warriors targeting and wiping out the acne-causing bacteria. In studies, Phyla slashed acne-causing bacteria by a whopping 90%. Phyla doesn't just fix acne you can see. It stops new breakouts in their tracks. It has no harsh chemicals and won't irritate or dry most skin. Phyla's three-step system is like a dermatologist-approved magic potion. Cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. As a special treat for our listeners, you can grab 25% off your first order of Phyla. Head over to phylabiotics.com, enter code PUBERTY at checkout, and kickstart your family's journey to acne-free skin. Check out the link in our show notes for quick access. Hi, I'm Cara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Cole bennett Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty, that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike. Combining reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescence, ours and theirs. It is our distinct privilege and pleasure to have Lisa Heffernan on the podcast today. She's the co-founder of Grown and Flown, the number one site for parents of teens, college students, and young adults. She's also a New York Times bestselling author and the co-author with the co-founder of Grown and Flown, Mary Dell, of Grown and Flown, a wonderful book, How to Support Your Teens, Stay Close as a Family, and Raise Independent Adults, which is now in paperback. So listen in. Lisa's combination of intelligence, empathy, and practicality is so helpful and refreshing, and we hope you will enjoy. It is such a treat to have Lisa Heffernan on the podcast today. She is one of the dynamic duo with Mary Dell, who are the co-founders of Grown and Flown, the number one site. And I am hyperbolic, but this is not a hyperbolic statement for parents of teens, college students, and young adults. We are thrilled to have you here, Lisa. You are such a treasure trove of information knowledge, insight, advice. So thank you. Thank you for joining us. Oh my goodness. That was some introduction. I am thrilled to be here with both of you. I'm a big fan of the Puberty Podcast. Thank you. Cara just has a huge smile on her face for those of you who can't see her. I I just am going to open by saying that 
Lisa is my COVID friend. I've, I collected just a couple of incredible gems during COVID. And one of them was Lisa who transplanted herself to the West Coast right before we all locked down. And it was the sunshine of COVID for me. So I love having you here, even though you're not here. We're remote today while we're talking, but we're thrilled, thrilled, thrilled to have you. Thank you. Thank you both. I will just add that I moved very close to where Lisa lived and then she left. And I hope it was and came to my neck of the woods. So there's a there's a pattern here. Go with that where you want, (laughs) Vanessa. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess if I had the choice between living near Cara and living near me, I would live near Cara. So there you go. Um, But I don't have the choice because I'm stuck in my own body. So Lisa, let's start from the beginning. Let's start from the origin story, the superhero origin story of Grown and Flown. How did you and Mary Dell start it, conceive of it? What were the roots of this community? The, the roots of our community is very much the reason why people join our community. At the time, Mary Dell and I had each sent our oldest kids off to college. They were, I think, freshmen and a sophomore. And our younger kids were still living at home. We had high school students. And it was very much the feeling like every blog we went to, every community we went to, every website we went to was aimed at under fours, under fives, or maybe under eights. But it was as if once you finish those baby years, those toddler years, those elementary school years, smooth sailing. And that was ha, actually not ha, the ha. <laughs> <laughs> that was not the experience we were having. What we were feeling was that we had entered the teenage years with more difficult challenges, more confusion, and that the stakes were higher. You know, if you get the wrong brand of diapers, you can work with that. Um, If you've got to get your kid onto a feeding schedule that's not really working for you, there's a lot of resources, a lot of help. There's your pediatrician. There's a lot of people around you. When your teenager is struggling with some of the profound things that teenagers can struggle with, you could feel much more alone. And that's what we were experiencing. Not that our kids were having such troubles, but we were having the normal challenges that parents have with teenagers and really feeling lost. And there was kind of nothing out there. So we threw up a website and we thought it would be our stories. Turns out it's not. Turns out we have over 800 writers on the site. Many of them are experts, um, like the two of you, who are writing from the position of your professional expertise and bringing that to the site. Many of them are parent stories. And then about five years in, truthfully, there was a button on my Facebook page saying, do you want to start a group? And Mary Dell knows this about me. There's no button I won't push to see what happens. (laughs) And I said, yeah, let's start a group. And I pushed the button thinking it would be us. It would be some of our friends. We would talk. I had no idea. I'd never been in a Facebook group. I didn't know what it was going to do. And it's now 250,000 parents discussing every aspect of parenting because some of that hasn't changed. There is still not as much content. People like you are really, really feeling a huge need online where parents are given like reliable, factual, you know, up-to-date information on how to parent teens because that's a real white space still on the internet. And it's not a white space by accident. I want to rewind to that for a second. When I first started writing, it was 20 years ago, and I sat and had lunch with my then brand new agent. And I said what I was interested in writing in. The response I got, and it was this, right? The response I got was, oh, no, 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 no. Parents of babies buy books and stuff 
about and for babies. But by the time kids get into grade school and certainly into middle or high school, parents don't want anything general. They want to go very specific. If there's an issue, they want to buy a book about that issue. And, you know, this is significant because agents are the middle people between the content creators and the or the writers, if you will, and the content publishers, whether it's publishing houses or film studios or wherever the content actually gets made. And here, the person who is in the middle was saying, our party line is, as kids get older, no one wants to hear about general stuff. And what I've come to realize in the two decades since is, Everyone wants to hear about general stuff. It's just that no one's ever really gone there. The white space, as you've described and as Grown and Flown has tapped into so beautifully, the white space was just, there were no comps on the market. There was no one doing it. And so the people who are brokering the deals interpreted that as no one wants it, not it's a wide open lane that people are hungry to jump into. I also think people are scared of teenagers and college students. I think they're intimidated by them. They don't know how to talk to them or how to reach them. And so they're kind of like, uh, you know, I, I give up, like I'm backing away. I'm rolling my eyes. I'm shrugging my shoulders. I'm leaving the room. And Lisa, what you all have done with Grown and Flown and what we're working to do is to say, no, you can be in conversation. Yes, they can be petulant and challenging and irritating, but they can also be amazing and wonderful and loving and interesting. And you just have to find the right way in. You reference Lisa, the stakes are higher. The problems are bigger. Can you talk about what kinds of challenges you were noticing in the early days of Grown and Flown and whether those things have evolved changed or whether they have remained constant? Yeah. One of the things that we noticed a lot in the early days, and it's kind of remained constant, is we're raising digital natives, but we're not digital natives. So we're raising people who know something that we don't know that has lots of ramifications in their lives. And parents are very lost around that. And there is always a new platform or a new way a platform is being used that you know, the kids are way ahead of us on and we're always, you know, we're toddlers running behind them trying to catch up and figure out what they're doing. So that has been remarkably constant throughout this period. And parents have used the community and online resources to learn from each other. What are these platforms? What are they sharing? What are the dangers? How do I help them navigate? If they're very young teens, how much do I need to monitor? You know, if they're 12, 13, 14, should I actually be trailing them and seeing exactly what they're doing? If they're 16, 17, 18, 19, what are the risks and what are the signs that I would see that there could be a potential problem? So that has not changed over the period, but that is one of the underlying issues that remains constant. But many of the issues that we see day in and day out are the issues that were relevant when we were teenagers. I was just putting some posts into the group about teenagers who are in unhealthy romantic relationships where one partner is taking advantage of another partner or degrading another partner. And parents are watching this and feel helpless to, you know, if you weigh in too heavily, then you only push the teenager closer. And, you know, the same issues that existed when we were teenagers, drugs, alcohol, driving, the drugs are a little different, but the stories are the same, cheating on school, an issue. So a lot of the issues are the same, 
What has changed more fundamentally that we're seeing is the relationship we have with our teenagers. And research bears this out. We are closer to our kids. They talk to us more. They want to be with us more. They come to us more. Those are all great things. But it means that we can't always rely on our experience as teenagers. You know, one of the, one of the impulses is when you face a situation in parenting to think, well, what was it like when I was 14? Mm-hmm. That's not as relevant as it might be because things have changed so much in our relationships with them. So parents spend a lot of time in our community weighing in saying, I'm facing a situation as a parent. I feel completely helpless. What are the, some of the things that you have done that have worked? And that has been, I think, the most valuable thing we've been able to offer parents. Okay. But one thing that you do amazingly well in your community is you avoid catastrophizing on a regular basis. So everything that you've just described could go a number of different directions. One direction is a very positive, supportive, let me help you vibe, which is generally actually the way the parents in your community interact. Another would be a series of, you know, sort of, I don't even know how to begin to describe it. Parents pulling their hair out, parents stressing each other out, amping up the volume of all of the anxiety. How have you avoided that and maintained a community that, don't get me wrong, people share very sad stories and images, profound stories and images, and they share very scary moments, but they don't up the ante on the anxiety meter day in and day out. What's your secret there? I think it might be good luck. I don't know that we have a secret, but (laughs) the, the way I think about it is when our kids were little, we had baby groups and communities and ways, other parents we could turn to and talk to about the things that we were experiencing, you know, the lack of sleep and, you know, the incredibly picky eater and, you know, that sort of thing. But you could share those things. It's not difficult to say that I had a child who ate about four foods and I was worried about it. It's not difficult to, to have that conversation with a parent. Right. No one judges you. No one judges you. Right. When your kid is failing out of a class or your kid is self-harming, that is a much more difficult thing to share for two reasons. One, because you fear that some judgment might come your way. But also there's a huge issue around privacy. This is a teenager. This isn't a small child. This is their story. So what the group I think has been able to do is two important things. One is anonymous posts. And truthfully, we started doing this years ago, right from the beginning, we started putting anonymous posts in. There are things that parents need to ask and they need to protect the privacy of their teenager. And that has been a life-changing experience for people because now they feel they can talk about anything. The result of that, of course, is parents who read those stories and say, oh my goodness, that's me too have that wonderful feeling of not being alone. That's what baby groups did for us. They Mm -hmm. helped us not feel alone. And that was just this enormous supportive thing that helped carry us through. We lose that. We lose our day-to-day contact with other parents because when you, you know, you're not doing that pickup and drop off at play dates where you linger at the door and chat or have a cup of coffee, or you're not driving them anymore. You're not standing at the, you know, the classroom door, picking them up. All those things disappear as our kids, you know, travel their own paths. And so we lose those, those connections and that touch and that feeling of being able to just casually discuss something that's happening in our lives. So this hopefully online communities. And honestly, I urge people to find real world communities too, whether it's around a book group nominally, but it's really about talking about our kids or, or whatever. <laughs> they are as important or more important now 
because our experts also have drifted a little bit from our lives. You do not talk to your 10th graders teachers the way you might have casually spoken to your second graders teachers. Maybe Cara can correct me on this, but I stopped going into the pediatrician's office or into the room with my teenage boys because that was not my place anymore. That's right. So I didn't talk to their pediatrician as much either. She might have spent a moment or two with me, but it wasn't like when I was there for the whole visit and I had that conversation and I could bring up things that were bothering me. And likewise, you're not supervising playdates. So you actually lose touch with the kids themselves as well. There's a different kind of incredible bonding that happens when kids happen to be over at your house and you're the adult in the room who's feeding them. Feeding them tends to be the thing that really keeps them around, but it's much fewer and farther between. You don't get a glimpse of those interactions and what those other kids are like either. So I want to reiterate what you said, Lisa, because I think we got so accustomed to online communities and online interactions. And I mean, I made friends on Instagram during COVID who were like, I'm like, yeah, she's totally my friend. I've never met some of these people in my life and probably will never meet them in person. So I appreciate that encouragement. I think the vulnerability that people show in the Facebook group for Grown and Flown is astounding. The joy, the heartbreak, the fears, the trauma, everything. It's very honest and real world, which I uh, astounds me. So you're encouraging people to find new touch points, to connect to teachers, to find book groups, you know, to volunteer, whatever it is. And that is all super critical. But I'm thinking about the college process and how sometimes being in real life with other people can ratchet up the stress and increase the pressure rather than help us kind of, what is it, oxytocin, find that like human connection oxytocin. So can we spend a few minutes talking about how you all approach the college counseling, college advising process and what it is about the way Grown and Flown does it that might actually both give people some community and also take the temperature down a notch from what they're experiencing in real life? Sure. We actually have a membership community around college admissions. And it's our philosophy or theory that if we provide parents with factual information up to date from experts, that will take the temperature down. That what takes the temperature up is rumors and fears and outdated information. You know, things have changed so much just in the last two years. If you sent a kid to college three or four years ago, you're actually already out of date. Things have changed so much. So we feel that timely information from experts in a way that is realistic. We had an expert in the other day talking about the percentage of colleges that accept more than 50% of students, and it's very large. The fact that there are fewer and fewer kids applying to college from the United States because there are fewer, fewer 18-year-olds. We're we're actually in what they call, um, colleges called the demographic cliff. There are fewer kids than they were born in the 90s. So we, we try really hard to give parents factual information that they can use to take the temperature down. Personally, I think the way to do it is to find one or two friends that you can talk freely about your concerns, your worries, your fears, because I think all of those things are normal. They're normal because it's unknown. It's normal because you don't know the next step for your kid. But it's also normal because... There's an element of fear about what's going to happen to our families as our kids leave that we conflate with the college admissions process. 
So we think that our fear is about it's so hard to get in, but their fear is really about she's leaving and she's not going to be here. And that's that's a scary thing as a parent. I found it an extremely painful thing as a parent and, and many parents do. I know both of you have been through this. So I think you take this temperature down with facts, with experts, with up-to-date information and just reminding people, look backwards. Kids get into great places, great schools, they adapt and they're happy and they thrive. Taking parents a little bit out of the moment with some perspective. I don't know what you're talking about (laughs) as I (laughs) have been seen sobbing all over my kids' college town on street corners in restaurants and so on and so forth. Yeah, Cara and I, if anyone missed the episode where Cara and I just owned up to our complete emotional devastation from our kids leaving, you can check that one out. But I think that's a great point, Lisa. And I think that's true, actually, of not just the college process, but it's about our kids' athletic pursuits. It's about their professional pursuits that without perspective or sometimes with less than helpful perspective, we conflate a variety of issues. We worry about sort of performance anxiety. We worry about how other people view our kids and therefore us. We worry about, you know, how's it going to be perceived? What does the future hold? I always tell the story about how I was obsessing over what stroller I was going to get for my oldest kid, you know, obsessing. I mean, I was supposed to be billing hours and instead I was like spending, you know, half my day looking at strollers. And my husband finally looked at me and he's like, I'm not going to say anything about the stroller because it's the one thing you can control and you actually can't control what else is going to happen when God willing. What's going to be in the stroller? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently a very enormous human being was going to be in the stroller and the stroller I bought was completely the wrong one and we could barely push it because it was so heavy. All that time obsessing and I still messed it up. So I love the point you're making about separating the threads and figuring out what's really going on underneath for parents as we worry about this stuff. But it's it's important to point out, this is human. This is so human. And I think that's the success of your site and your community is that when we conflate things, right, we're just being human. And then when we acknowledge it, whether it's on a Facebook group in a chat or whether it's posting on a meme that, you know, some of your memes get hundreds of thousands, if not millions of likes. What is that? That is acknowledgement that that experience resonates and it feels really, really human. And we're left to our own devices. We're all really good at beating ourselves up about how we react to each of these things. Even just this conversation, as I'm listening to it, I can think, oh my gosh, these are all the things I'm doing wrong about my college. And then you stop and you go, wait a second, there are millions of other people out there who feel exactly the same way. This is human. And you have a humanity to your group that is profound. You know, for those who have not been on there, I encourage them to go on. Lisa, can we talk about just some mechanics of how people use the information that you give because there's a ton there. So you have this college counseling arm, which I would love for you to talk about a little bit. And then you also have all of these experts who provide remarkable information. Can you help us understand how people can sort through? So virtually, you know, we publish new content every day on the website. That's available on our social channels. We have the parent group of 250,000. All of that is just available publicly. And then the college admissions piece, basically 
in the country right now, there's two ways to get good college information. One is you can go on the internet and that's not a good way because you don't know what's accurate, what's out of date. It's very hard to filter through what's a reliable resource. But the reliable resources that exist are your college counselor at school, who's probably very knowledgeable, but very likely overwhelmed. The ratio of kids to college counselors in America on average is 500. And in places like California, it runs as high as 1,000. Very hard for a one college counselor to give anywhere from 500 to 1,000 students the kind of attention they need, particularly around the paying for college piece, because that is very complicated and very personal to a person's financial situation. The other wonderful resource are private college counselors, all well and good, but exorbitantly expensive all over the country and really only available to the wealthiest people, maybe the top 5%, 2%, but, but really the wealthiest people in our country. So that leaves the rest of the country sitting between there without reliable college information. So we created a resource where parents join a community and we have 125 sessions already they can watch. We have live weekly sessions. We have Q&A with our experts in the Facebook group. And then we have live sessions where they can ask questions and watch topics. So financial aid, whether to apply early or not. We uh, This week we had former missions officer from Dartmouth who basically walked parents through what happens when your kid pushes send. Here's everything that all the admissions offices are looking at and what they're seeing and what they're concerned with and the process and how you would get accepted or how you would get rejected. I think most of us have no idea what happens after you push send. So we we try and bring the highest level of expertise to the parents so that they don't have to depend on rumor or a college counselor that maybe doesn't have enough time to answer all of the parents' questions. And if I'm a parent who is listening to this thinking, get me into that group, I want to find that. Can you just walk me through what the process looks like? Um, I'm, we're going to have to put a link in the show notes. That's probably the Perfect. easiest way. But if you just go to Grown and Flown, we have a college admissions timeline that we had one of our experts prepare. It's eight pages long. It goes through all four years of high school. It's everything comprehensive that a student would need to do. And if you download that, which is free, that'll push you into us telling you about the college admissions group. If you listen to enough of our episodes, you'll hear us preach the importance of air, particularly down there. Airing out body parts reduces sweatiness, stinkiness, and skin irritation. And it feels amazing to air it all out after a long day in tight, sweaty clothes. Which is why we created the Oom Short. Super soft, lightweight, with wide legs and a low crotch. All help air flow. Designed for all genders, in all sizes, literally down to kids extra small and up to men's extra large. Everyone who wears them tells us they've never been so comfy. Get your shorts at myoomla.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Vanessa. We literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious, 
and healthy and still fit into that tiny window? Our answer is factors ready to eat meals. They have been a godsend. We throw our factor meals in the microwave. It takes two minutes and out comes a gorgeous, fresh, never frozen meal. We both love the tamale vegetarian one. It's delish. There's a ton of options every week. There's 60 add-ons, breakfast, snacks, beverages. I love doing the wellness shots with my kids. They think it's hilarious. And I know they're getting vitamins and minerals in their bodies. So get meals on your table or at your desk in two minutes or less. Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. You can customize with flexibility to get as much or as little as you need, and you can press pause or reschedule depending upon your lifestyle. So to order, go to factormeals.com slash puberty50 and use the code puberty50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator. Cara, lately I have been lying awake at night. I'm physically exhausted, but I can't sleep because my mind is so wired with everything going on between work and my family. So I've added magnesium breakthrough to my nightly routine and it actually helps calm my mind. It helps me get better sleep and I wake up feeling better rested. I'm less cranky and I'm more patient with my family and with you. Oh, I've noticed. And it's because unlike other magnesium supplements that might give one or two formulations of magnesium, Magnesium Breakthrough has seven. That's why you're sleeping so well and waking up refreshed. Now, dietary supplementation is always best, Vanessa. So that means eating your minerals and vitamins is the best way to get them in. But if you can't or you don't get enough, Magnesium Breakthrough is the way to go. It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizers.com slash puberty, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at buyoptimizers.com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. So many of our listeners are parents or trusted adults for kids like in the sort of late grade school, middle school. And when we were growing up, our parents were not at all thinking about college when we were that age. But these days, adults feel like they do need to be thinking about it for better or worse. And I wish that wasn't necessarily the case, but it is. What is your advice for people who are not yet on that treadmill? What's your guidance? You've raised three children through this process. This is your job day in and day out. And you're you're such a level-headed, calm person. What can you say to these folks listening and starting to break out into a cold sweat? So I just want to say that if you talk to any of my three sons and you told them I was a level-headed, calm person, they would laugh you out <laughs> of this room. And if you and if you had known me through the college admissions process, you would be laughing at yourself too. So I just want to put it out there. 
I was the least calm person going through this, which is some of the reason why I wanted to do what we're doing because I was an absolute mess. This is what I would strongly and emphatically urge. Do not spend time talking about your college admissions with your child before 11th grade. It is a long process. It's an intense process. It's a stressful process. There is nothing to be gained by them talking, and parents do it all the time. Don't talk to them when they're in ninth grade and 10th grade. For God's sake, don't talk to them when they're middle school about college. Tell them they need to get the best grades they can get. They need to take the hardest classes that they're comfortable taking. They need to do their activities. That's what they need to focus on. As a parent, and the reason we need to think about it earlier than we used to, sadly, is the cost piece. Parents do need to think about the cost piece earlier. They need to think about the savings. They need to understand merit aid, need-based aid, scholarships, how they're going to put this together. If the parents are divorced, the process is involves another level of thought because there's there's some issues about, at the moment, this is going to change, where the student lives and the parents' different incomes. So parents need to think about that piece. They may want to go on some of the net price calculators and push things in and get some sense of where they stand. This is not the time to talk to you about your kids. This is a conversation to have with your 11th grader. If they focus on the things that they need to focus on, taking their PSAT, you know, getting the best grades they can and doing whatever activities they do to the best of their ability, they will be prepared when it comes time to focus on admissions. So related to that, one of the things I love about the Grown and Flown community is that people's children are taking all different routes. Some of them eventually to college, some of them not at all to college, to other trade schools, military, other professional routes. Can you talk about what you're noticing in terms of people's journeys, that it's not just college as the only option, but the plethora of great opportunities out there? I think what we've noticed really strongly over the last five years is an enormous amount of support for the non-college route, that there are so many professions that involve a vocational training or on-the-job training, or I'll tell you a little anecdote. One of my kids is a computer programmer and was in a position to be interviewing and hiring people to do programming. And this is a skill we associate with college. You know, you go to college, you do a degree in computer programming, and then you get a job in, in this field. And he told me that the people that they were hiring who had done the computer science boot camps versus the people who had done degrees they were indistinguishable. Mm -hmm. This was something, this was a skill that you could learn just as well outside of the classroom. And you would be an incredibly useful employee in a well-paid profession that didn't involve four years of perhaps debt. So I think there's a lot of acknowledgement over the last five years that there are other paths to a million great careers and that we do our kids a disservice by acting like there's just one. And of course, the military option is a completely different path. And we see a lot of kids pursuing that and parents showing a lot of respect for that. So this brings me to a related question, but one that is far broader, pulls the lens back, which is that you have a community where the dialogue goes both ways and parents comment back and forth to one another. You have expert voices who are bringing sound information, but you also have a lot of people who are just sort of bouncing around in there and sharing their feelings or sharing their experiences. How do you handle, whether it's related to college or the workforce or anything else, how do you handle bad information or misinformation when it pops up in your community? So in the college admissions community in which people are members, 
that is very tightly controlled. The experts answer the questions. Parents don't answer the questions. Parents can tell you about their experience, but they do not answer the questions. And questions are answered by experts. So I can control it there. We get 30,000 comments a day. It is not possible for us to monitor all of them. So I will tell you in all honesty, there is misinformation and everybody needs to take it with a grain of salt as if they're at the schoolroom gate or they're in the town square and some people are right and some people are wrong. One of the biggest benefits, there's two amazing benefits I think to our large Facebook group. One of the biggest benefits is that people are able to come into that group and find people who are having the same experience they're having in parenting when they may not know someone in their real life having that experience. That could be that your kid has just been accused of cheating. That could be that your kid just got a DUI. That could be that your kid is transitioning. And it could be something very different than that. There's hundreds of things it could be. But there are so many things that we experience in our real life. And because we only know a limited number of people, we don't know anyone else is experiencing. And when you go into the group and you say, this has happened to my teen, you get hundreds of parents who tell you they've experienced it. So they make you feel less alone, give you practical information because they know the resources, the books, the experts, the law, you know, the um, monetary practicalities, you know. So you get lots of practical advice, but you do risk that you get some misinformation. There is no doubt about that. One of my favorite things that happens on the Grown and Flown community is when people have a child in another city or another state and that child needs a place to go for a holiday or has been rushed to the emergency room and someone else in the community steps up and goes and looks after someone else's child who they have never met before. And there is just a generosity of spirit and a kindness. And it stems, I think, Lisa, from that fact that people feel like they are genuinely part of a community, even though it's many people who they, you know, have never touched or seen in real life. How do we foster that? I think the aloneness of the teenage years and the college years you know, if our kids are in touch or not in touch, if we have a partner or we don't have a partner, there is a sort of a loss and a grief. How do we foster beyond the grown and flown kind of, I'll be there for your kid, you be there for mine. How do we get there? How do we move past that sort of sense of loss or aloneness into a new reality? I think it's two things. I think two things bring that about. One is the vulnerability. Parents Mm -hmm. are showing vulnerability in there. I'm an imperfect parent. Turns out we're all imperfect parents, (laughs) highly imperfect parents. There's a lot of research that shows that in our teen years, we have the least amount of confidence in our parenting. We have the least amount of what experts call self-efficacy in our parenting. We are the most adrift. You think about those early years as feeling lost, you know, are they supposed to be sleeping? How am I supposed to feed them? That's not when we're most adrift. This is when we're most adrift because the questions are so much bigger and more consequential. And often our children are so unlike us that we need to know what's best for them, but we don't know because they're so different and we feel lost in trying to support them. So I think that the vulnerability that parents show is a way to help us show up for each other and to feel compassionate. The second thing that happens in our Facebook group is that parents are reminded every day that there is something they care more about than their politics and more about than the sorts of things that are dividing us in the world. And that is our kids. 
There is nothing we care about more than our kids and their safety and their security and their ability to thrive. We all just want our kids to thrive. So that allows us to support each other in this incredibly constructive way. As you say, all over the world, we have stories, literally kids landing all over the world and other parents being there to support them and help them, often in times of crisis. So it's like super important that somebody appear. But I think it's the fact that people are willing to show their vulnerability and their feelings of being lost as a parent, because this is the period when we often feel lost. Do you think it is also driven by both the amount of time we have to have practiced our parenting, right? We're not new to it anymore. So we're all better at admitting where we're not good, but also to the fact that memory gets stronger as we get older. So we can all flash back to a memory from kindergarten, but it's probably a memory that was informed by a picture or a story that has been told to us or shown to us many, many times. Whereas our teenage memories, they are our memories. They are in our brain. And I wonder, I actually wonder as I parent my own teenagers, if that is what is shifting the way I feel about parenting, this vulnerability that you described, because I know they're going to clock certain things. I have no idea what they're going to clock, by the way, but I know they're going to clock certain things and it makes me feel vulnerable. Do you get a sense from the data or from your community, whether that's a piece of it as well? Yes, because a lot of our fears while we're parenting our teenagers are fears about what happened to us. Fears about uncomfortable situations we were in, dangerous situations we were in, dangerous things we did. I know every time I talk to my kids about drinking and driving, something I talk to my kids about when they were in high school, so often that they literally had to tell me to shut up. (laughs) They would say to me, this isn't something that our peer group is doing. We have Uber. Like, mom, you're fighting, you're fighting an old war. Like, we just call Uber. Your generation may have been drinking and driving. And certainly, as you both know, the data bears it out that we had sex younger, we had more unprotected sex, we used more drugs, we used more alcohol, and we drank and drove more. I brought all of those factors into my parenting and had to be reminded over and over again that my kids were being brought up in a different world. So you had to be reminded by teenagers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So yes, we bring our very real experiences and our very real fears and memories into parenting in this stage. The thing that I appreciate most about this conversation, Lisa, is we often talk on the podcast about leaving your baggage at the door, right? Letting go of your adolescent years, your experiences in puberty, right? Leaving that all behind. But you're encouraging us to do something more, which is to in our current lives, in our current day, untangle the threads of the day-to-day between the logistical, the practical, and the kind of metaphysical, emotional, and the worries. And it's really helpful to me because every morning I think parents wake up. I mean, maybe it's just me, but like there's a pit in my stomach about something every morning. Like there's always something that's sitting on me on my shoulders, not sitting on me, but sitting on my shoulders. <laughs> and I, it always takes me a second to think about like, oh, what is it that I'm worrying about this morning? Because I know the feeling is there before the realization of what the worry is that yeah. morning. To use your guidance and to sort of deconstruct, is that worry a practical, logistical thing? Is that worry an emotional, a psychological thing? And going through that exercise of untangling that is such a helpful perspective. I really, really appreciate your bringing that to the conversation. And then when I get off the recording, I'm going <laughs> to 
<laughs> write it down or text you my You got kid. some work to do. <laughs> um, always, always, Cara. Um, so you and me both. We normally wrap with a kind of a, a takeaway. I just cheated and, and gave my takeaway. And I'm just wondering, Cara and Lisa, if you guys want something as people, you know, we're, we're recording this at the beginning of, of a school year, of a college year, of for many people, new jobs, new living experiences. And I just would love if we could uh, take away just a, a comment of bravery and encouragement for all those adults worrying and thinking about their kids out there. What's one way to send them off today? Well, I mean, I'll give Lisa the last word here. So I'll just jump in and say that when I first came across Grown and Flown, when I first even saw it as a third party observer before I was part of any of the groups and ever felt sort of integrated into that community at all, I looked at the title and I thought it was very much about kids who were leaving home and launching. What I have come to understand mostly by watching the community and a little bit by talking to Lisa on the side, I've come to understand that it's the slow release of growing and sort of flying away that starts much younger. There's a process that we are allowed to grant ourselves and our kids that has a much longer runway than I think I even appreciated when I first kind of came into this orbit. And maybe that's a change in our community and, and a change in the timeline, but that to me feels like the most, one of the most valuable pieces is learning how, you know, we, we always talk on this podcast about how slowly kids develop, how puberty has stretched like taffy, how all of this stuff is starting earlier and lasting longer so too is the process of allowing your kids to fly and to individuate. And so one of the things that I take from this conversation and I take from your community, Lisa, is the ability of parents to recognize their kids' individuality at younger and younger ages, to honor it, and to help them become more independent because that is what is going to keep them safe and healthy, but to just do it slowly and gradually over time. Yeah. I think both of you make excellent points and make it really hard for me to, to add to that. I think the one thing that I've seen over and over again, if there's one constant, it's that parents worry about other parents judging them. We're mm -hmm. worried about, you know, sharing our failings as, as you guys both have mentioned here, but the palpable relief that you hear people express when they have been vulnerable and they have said, I'm lost or my kid is lost, when they both discover that first, other people are experiencing this. Second, there's a lot of constructive solutions and you know paths that they can follow that maybe they didn't know or think of because it just wasn't in their experience yet. So yes, there will be some small group of people who maybe aren't the kindest people who might judge you, but that fades in comparison to the support that you find, the love you find, the practical advice and, and resources that other people will make available to you. So I think we have to remember that every time I went to another parent in real life, when I was struggling with something, first, just unburdening myself of it was just an enormous help. And then, you know, 99% of the time, what you get back is love and support. So I think the piece about worrying about being judged, we really have to let that go because the benefits we get from seeking that sort of support is so much more important. 
We will link to the website, to a way to join the Facebook group, to the college counseling site. And the most important thing is that it helps people not feel alone. And I think there's nothing more powerful than that. You are not alone. If you have a middle schooler or grade schooler, it's not too early to join. There's wonderful resources. Car and I have written a bunch, but there's lots of other experts and lots of other ways to get valuable information and just be part of the humanity of this group of people and carry that forth in the rest of your life because there's a lot of love and a lot of honesty and caring in the community. Lisa, thank you so much for bringing your wisdom today. We're so grateful. Oh my goodness. Thank you both. I am such a fan of what you're both doing. I'm thrilled actually and honored to be here with you too. Thanks so much for listening. You can follow us anywhere you get your podcasts or check out our Instagram at the puberty podcast. If you have questions or stories to share, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. And for more puberty info, check out myumla.com or dynamogirl.com. Bye. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.